Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hello everyone and welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And, and I'm, oh, I'm I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us now. We're on location this week. I thought it'd be fun, and I'm now questioning my sanity. Mm. Because we're doing the final issue of The Spectre, and it's proper full-on horror comic stuff, I thought it'd be fun if Peter and I recorded this in a graveyard at midnight. What was that noise? Can you hear that noise? That's strange, isn't it? Yes. Oh, gosh. So we're, we're sat here. My bum is freezing because I'm sat in some cold, damp grass. Mm-hmm. We're sat here under a full moon, and we're going to be reading and discussing the final issue of The Spectre, issue 10 of The Spectre. The Spectre being the only member of the Justice Society of America to get an ongoing series in the Silver Age. Pizzi did a little bit of tallying of which prominent members of the Justice Society of America the premier DC Comics Golden Age Super Team made the most appearances up to this publication of Issue 10 of the Spectre, which was published, listeners, in case you're wondering, on the 18th of March, 1969. Now, if this was the Doctor Who podcast that I'm occasionally involved in, Kerry would probably queue up... Fluff Freeman. Alan Fluff Freeman's... But Pete's terrified of PRS money sort of demands, so we're not going to do that. All right, pick up the pop pickers. Not off! Don't forget, lots of kisses on the bottom. All right. We haven't got like, a list of appearances by every single GSA member, but here's the top five, right? In fifth position is Hawkman with 11 appearances. This is since Flash of Two Worlds. Yes, including Flash of Two Worlds and up to the, the publication of issue 10 of the Spectre. Mm. After that, it's Alan Scott, the Golden Age Green Lantern, with 12 appearances. Of course it is. Jointly having 13 appearances each, it's Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash, and Doctor Fate with 13 appearances. Which means... But at number one... Yep, it's the giggly guest himself. It's the Spectre with 17 appearances across the issues of Showcase Mm -hmm. and his ongoing series and his Brave and the Bold appearance and his appearances in the JLA. So that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Given that everyone makes all the fuss about Jay Garrick and all that sort of stuff, quite rightly, it's fascinating to consider that the Spectre has appeared a few more times. and But, I mean, obviously, Jay made quite a lot of appearances in Barry Allen's comic, mm-hmm. and the Spectres had an ongoing book of his own, obviously, and Jay's been in more JLA, JSC team-ups than the Spectre. But it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it certainly is, yes. Mm-hmm. I think it was worth climbing over the wall into the cemetery with all the recording equipment. It's got to be done, you know, because we've obviously we've talked about horror comics and stuff recently, so we're, we're in the mood for it, really, aren't we? Mm-hmm. It only feels like two minutes since we did issue 60 of Showcase, which was published um, at the end of November 1965 when Inspector made his first Silver Age appearance. And here we are already at his final Silver Age appearance. Mm-hmm. Three and a bit years in comic publication time, one year and a couple of months in Earth 2 podcast time. Mm-hmm. So, issue 10. Pizza, do you want to tell everyone about the, the really scary cover? I'd be delighted. It's a Nick Cardi cover. And we have an image of the Spectre himself. And he is in some foggy kind of environment with a dark blue background. Mm. Dark blue sky behind him. Fog wisping all around him. He has his hood up. He has his cape around him. But it's open at the bottom. And in the darkness, 
inside his cape, we see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pairs of eyes. Yes. All different sizes, all looking menacing. Mm. And the spectre's sort of pointing down at them with his ungloved hands. The spectre seems to have given up the gloves on the covers recently. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting. And the caption at the top says, Dare you enter the world of the spectre? And like the last issue, the spectre logo is massive. And it's also shaped around the figure of the spectre. Again, like last issue. It's not my favourite cover of the series, it must be said. And... Let's be honest, at points we found doing this series a bit of a chore. Mm. Maybe not because we haven't enjoyed the comics, not because we're you know we're not fans of the character, but I think I found myself at times sort of thinking, I wish a few other guys had had their own, own going series in the Silver Age, just for a bit of variety. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We talked previously, it was nice to have Wildcat turn up. It would have been nice to have seen Doctor Fate, maybe, Indeed. turn up in this book as well. And obviously we've talked endlessly about how there have been several sort of shifts in style and approach. Mm-hmm. Through the ten issues of the comic. Yep. Issue nine was obviously the first issue with the anthology format of the Spectre almost as a horror host, and that continues mm-hmm. into issue ten. And it's even more in the, the sort of House of Secrets, House of Mystery mode almost. And so then I suppose without further ado, we'd probably better get on with it. Because I want to go home because I'm freezing. Yes. Me too. <laughs> so we open. Once again, this looks very much like Jerry Grandinetti's work to me. It does indeed, yes. Our opening page does that marvellous Jerry Grandinetti thing that we've become so used to of a couple of images within the same sort of panel structure. We see the Spectre's hands holding the Journal of Judgment. It's rendered differently over the spread of these two panels, which is very interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that's a mistake, or maybe the, the journal can change its shape. With artistic license. Yes. So the Spectre's looming out of the, the green fog, which seems to be also blurring into the edges of his cape. Spectre is seen reading the book, and some text says, You are about to re-enter the world of the natural and the supernatural, the world of the living and the dead, the world of justice and mercy, for these pages contain a power no human can hold, the pathway of the, the Spectre. Spectre. Massive big twisty Spectre logo shaped out of the Spectre's cape and out of the fog, big green spread of letters along the bottom. So. The first story properly then begins on page two. We see the Journal of Judgment and there's green fog swirling around it. And within the fog, there is some more text. Through impudence and lack of judgment, the spectre has been sentenced by his creator to follow the instructions of the Journal of Judgment in order to redeem himself as the agent of good. Follow his gaze as he reads the next person he must investigate. The man who shall soon hear thee... Footsteps, Footsteps of, of disaster. disaster. Footsteps of Disaster sounds like um, an episode of Thunderbirds, doesn't it? It does, yes. So, and after the title caption, we have a little bit of a regular caption that says, This is Charles A. Felix, 30 years ago at age five. So the first panel properly that we see, it's a child's birthday party. We see two little boys with very caricatured large heads. One little boy's holding a present wrapped up with a bow. And he's about to hand it to the little boy. And the other little boy has knocked over a nice blue vase. And his mum has burst through the door of the party and she is yelling, Charlie, stop that! Is that any way to act on your birthday? Oh, my brand new vase! You broke it! Just wait till your father gets home, little man! And we have a sequence of five panels following this of some slippered feet going up a staircase, cutting back and forth between Charlie hiding behind his bedsheets and a little bit of text that says, Later that evening... And there's some creak sound effects each time 
a step is stepped upon, the wood doesn't like it, and then we arrive at the bottom of page two, and Charlie's dad looms in the open doorway. Charlie's cowering behind his bedsheet. Charlie's dad appears to be wearing a sort of purple dressing gown. I'm guessing that was his pyjamas that were poking out the bottom. He's an older man, balding, severely, silver grey hair, clinging on to the, the back of his head. And as Charlie cowers, his dad says, I know you're still awake, Charles, and you deserve exactly what's coming to you. And in the final panel of page two, with a whack, 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 Dad puts Charlie over his knee and scalps his bottom. Charlie cries, Out! Out! Top of page three, the caption for the first panel says, Ten years later, and Charlie obviously continued his unruly ways. A very dynamic panel, showing Charlie zooming off, and there's a massive zoom sound effect, a big, expensive-looking car. There's a man standing on the pavement, waving his hands after him, crying, Hey, you! Stop! That's my car! Wait till the authorities catch up to you, young man! Charlie doesn't care. As he drives off, he says, The dummy left his motor running. I'm going to celebrate my birthday with a joyride. And then the next sequence of panels mirrors what we had on page two. A little bit of text says, Later that evening... And we see the older Charlie sat on his bed as some suited and booted shoes walk up the staircase outside his bedroom, and again, there are some creak sound effects as each step gets stepped upon. Oh, oh gosh. I'm cold. I'm sure I saw a bat fly past a moment ago. This was a terrible idea. Mm. Panel 6, again, does the Jerry Grandinetti thing of moving the narrative forward within one little boundary. And we see Charlie sit up in bed, and this hatted, suited figure opens his bedroom door and says to Charlie, Hello, Charlie. We seem to be seeing a lot of each other lately. You just couldn't resist getting into trouble again, huh? Had to steal that car. Well, you'll have to come along with me and take what's coming to you. The next panel, they're exiting a doorway. The probation officer continues, saying, Violating your probation will dump you in a juvenile detention centre for a year. Tough break, kid. Too bad you didn't learn the first time. Then a slow dissolve. And the caption for the next panel says, Nor the next time for ten years later. Yep, Charlie's moved up to bigger crimes. He's in a bank vault. You can see he's got a big box open next to him. He's filling it with wads of notes. He's saying, This birthday present will be the very best of my life. (laughs) And tied up behind him, the corner of the final panel of page three, is a bank employee. And he's saying, You won't get away with this young man. The law will catch up to you. Everyone's Scottish, where Charlie lives, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And so, as we arrive on page four, a text caption says, Later that evening. And once again, we have a sequence of five panels showing Charlie cowering and sweating and shaking as some feet walk up the stairs towards his room. And again, we have the creak sound effects. And again, in the next panel, Jerry moves on the narrative within the same panel borders. And a policeman, this time, standing in Charlie's open bedroom door, saying, There were hidden cameras taking pictures of you, Felix. It took a particularly clear one of you in the safe. You'd better come with me. You're under arrest for grand larceny. And as he says that, the cop slams on the cuffs. The caption for the final sequence at the bottom of page four says, Today is Charlie's birthday again, his 35th. He's also celebrating the first anniversary of his release from prison. And he's celebrating in a different way this time. Charlie is standing facing another man who looks slightly older, but overweight. Charlie's saying, I spent this last year building up my organisation and I'm not letting you or anyone else take over. You shouldn't have come alone, partner. Now no one can trace your demise to me. Charlie pulls a gun on his partner who says, No! No, Charlie! Don't shoot! 
You won't get away, away with this. S someone will catch Tom. Ah, there's a bang. Charlie shoots him. There's another bam. And Charlie says, No way, partner. No way. We arrive at the top of page five. Conditioning, or is it conscience, breaks through the rough exterior of Charlie as he races to his apartment. Yeah, we see Charlie entering what looks like a very well-to-do place. Mm -hmm. Slams the door behind him, saying, <sighs> and he sits down in his bed, lights a cigarette, saying, What's the matter with me? Nobody can find out. Oh, that's what you think, Charlie. There's a little bit of text for the next sequence of panels that says, It is little wonder that when the stairs creak, Charlie's nerves freeze with fright. Or is it the growing self-awareness of a man who has done wrong? And once again, we have a sequence of five panels showing the feet. They appear to be green-booted, walking up the stairs. Charlie sat on the edge of his bed, looking Creed. very scared. The green Creed. boots continue. We Creed. see a shot of the door. Creed. A close-up of Charlie looking terrified as he says... The place is locked. No one could get in. And my stairs never creaked before. First panel of page six. There's a click as Charlie's bedroom door opens. Terrified Charlie says, Who, who opened the door? And another voice comes from off panel, saying, You know you could not possibly escape, Charlie. And you know you deserve the fate coming to you. And there almost seems to be a hooded shadow looming over him as the door swings open. Close up of Charlie looking terrified. He cries in the next panel. Oh my God! And then his eyes close and he falls forward. We can see a full moon through the bedroom window behind him. He falls over, knocking over his ashtray and is stretched out down on the ground. The first panel of page seven shows that it's the spectre who was the last person to walk up the stairs. And he's standing in Charlie's open doorway, looking down at Charlie's body. The spectre beholds Charlie and says, Welcome to the world of the dead, Charles Felix. Death is never easy to deliver, and yet... And then the final little Jerry Grandinetti special panel, Spectre kneels down beside Charlie's body and continues saying, There is a limit to which man can be allowed to disrupt himself and his society, and murder is the basest instrument of chaos. Felix never learned his lesson, and the Spectre seems to be addressing, as the reader knows, he continues, Perhaps that is why I was assigned to investigate him. The harshest reality of life is that there are those who seek to end it in spite of their own destruction. And a caption concludes this first story, saying, You're beginning to learn, Speck. The next chapter may be easier for you to handle now. Thou shall overcome. Well then, mm -hmm. that's the first story. What do you think of that? Yeah, it was very atmospheric. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. But it is interesting that uh, we've got the Spectre who's, who's been punished for having killed someone. He's basically being sent to kill people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's turning up and mm -hmm. Charlie's so scared that he has a heart attack and dies or maybe yeah. it's just the Spectre's presence makes Charlie confront. I don't know, it's it's not quite like the Spectre mm -hmm. executes him. Yeah. But the confrontation of him and Charlie obviously understanding mm -hmm. what, maybe what it means or he's just so terrified of what the Spectre might do. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That work was fantastic. The colours were very vibrant and very, very good as we've seen over the last few issues of the Spectre. Yeah, there. It's a wonderful use of color. It's incredibly good. Yeah, very uh, effective. Mm -hmm. I kind of didn't really cover that in my description because we'd have been here all night and we're kind of, we've been here long enough as it is, and it's freezing. But I really liked the sequence of the the feet going up the stairs at the top of page four. Yeah, the policeman is sort of cast in blue light, and Charlie's face alternates between sort of orange and red. And I loved mm -hmm. that repeated sequence of the the same type of thing over the the four pages. Yeah. Know. I love repetition in stories. It's great, yeah. That was a really nice, intelligent little motif. Mm -hmm. 
makes it feel a little bit more substantial than just a sort of throwaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows that a bit of care was taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Charlie probably deserved what was coming to him, frankly. The Spectre's judgment was probably valid in this case, I think. Shall we move on to the second story? Yep. Who draws this one, Pizzi? The second story is penciled by Jose Delbo. It's written by Steve Skeets. The first one was uh, written by Mike Friedrich, I should have mentioned. Ah, Mike Friedrich returns to the pages of the Spectre, mm-hmm. just in time for the series to finish. The artwork to this next story is very interesting. To me, it's almost like a cross between Grandinetti and Murphy Anderson, if you were to blend them. Yes, I can see that completely, yeah. It's, there's the Grandinetti sort of fluid ap- approach to the storytelling and the detail that you would expect from Murphy Anderson. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It feels light years away from the actual Murphy Anderson stories. Mm-hmm. Another quite a minimal sort of story, this one. Mm-hmm. Cast of Thousands. <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact opposite of issue 35 of All-Star Squadron. <laughs> We're years away from All-Star Squadron, don't worry. So, this story starts off, it's stunning layout of this first page. There's a massive image of a young man wearing a blue jacket and brown jeans, clutching money in his hand, standing next to a purple car, a large purple car, that dominates the whole setup of the first page. This guy, this young man, black hair, standing next to the car, is thinking, Uh-oh. The cops! Gotta get out of here fast! Yeah, and sure enough, we can see zooming in at the other side of the panel, there's a police car, and as we look more closely, we can see that he's standing in front of some kind of establishment, and there's a smashed window in the door, so he's obviously up to no good. There's an inset panel showing this lad zooming off in his car. There's an awful, awful lot of zooming off in cars already in this issue. He's driving away, you can see the police car following him, and he's thinking, They won't take me! Got too much of a head start! But then suddenly, in the next panel... His headlights, and he's a responsible criminal motorist, because obviously he's got his headlights on because it's night time. Very helpfully, he thinks what happens. Huh? A kid? Where'd he come from? Yeah, there's a boy running onto the street in front of him. The car is speeding along at the bottom of the page. We get a couple of inset panels of the driver as he thinks. Can't swerve, I'd crack up and the police would have me for sure. Gotta keep going. Oh, who cares about the dumb kid anyway? Oh my goodness, but yeah, the final sequence, the child, the boy screams. Ah! And this evil motorist knocks him down. Oh my goodness. However, the scream almost continues in the first panel of page two. Ah! As our protagonist sits bolt upright in bed. Gosh, sweat pouring from him. He sits with his head in his hands in the next panel on the edge of his bed. And he says, What? What's wrong with me? I keep having this same dream over and over. Why do I keep seeing myself running over some poor, defenceless kid? It's obviously a very small apartment. One of those studio flats where everything's in the same room, because we can see a sink on the wall behind him. Still sweating in panel three as he continues saying, I could never do that. I may be a stupid thief, but I'd never purposely run over some kid. I'm not that rotten. And this is where our horror host enters the scene. There's a form of inset panel. It looks like the spectre standing on a roof. The edges are slightly blurred of the structure because he's gesturing with his left hand and his left hand is within the panel, showing the protagonist that rounds out the rest of the page. The spectre, as he gestures, addresses the camera and says, Meet Johnny Shaw, thief, two-time loser, continually plagued by the same weird dream, a nightmare in which he is the monster. And we finally get the title of this story, which is Hit and Run. Run. Johnny is standing up now. We get a few more details of where he's living. We can see the yeah, another ashtray, alarm clock, cigarettes. There's an open drawer, books and newspapers casually lying around. He says, Gotta get out of here before I go insane. Besides, this is just about the right time of night to pull off a job. Turn the page. Pass an advertisement for the giant issue 156 of Superboy. And we rejoin the Spectre, who's narrating. And he says, Johnny keeps saying that he'd never run over a defenceless child. 
But then, why does he keep having the same dream? And Inspector's again gesturing, and it's a very interesting shot of Johnny in bed, sweating, and playing around him are images of the child from his dream being caught in the car headlights. Obviously, as he gets knocked down. Spectre's narration continues, as he says. Could it be that his subconscious mind disagrees with him? Perhaps. Subconsciously, he knows that he is completely rotten, knows that he would run over a child. The next panel. Johnny's in his car, parked up, and we can see that he's looking at a grocery store, which obviously now that you look at it is the, the establishment he was outside of at the start of the story. A spectral, almost translucent spectre floats above him, saying... And now, here he is, driving along, trying to forget the dream. And inside the car, Johnny is saying, No cups around that store. Ought to be easy pickings. And the caption for the next panel says, Thus. And there's a massive crash of broken glass as Johnny uses the handle of his pistol to break into the shop. That's obviously the broken glass that we saw at the start of the story. Final panel of page three. Johnny has opened the cash register and he's running for it as a spectre floats above him, unseen by Johnny. Johnny says, what a snap! I got it made! Top of page four, we're back in the splash panel. Police car zooms in from the side. You can see the broken glass on the door. Johnny thinks. What? The cops! They see me, gotta get out of here! There's an inset panel of Johnny driving along. You can see the police car following behind him. The spectre looms into view and says to us, It's Johnny's dream! It's really happening! Johnny's dream was really a premonition! Spectre's flying above and behind Johnny's car now as it speeds along. And the Spectre says, That means some youngster's life is in danger. I've got to get ahead of Johnny's car. Find the kid. Protect him before this fool runs him over. The next panel. I love the way the Spectre's rendered here. Yes, very nice. He looks almost like the mist or some kind of... Mm -hmm. Very ethereal. His head, his arms, his upper torso are all fully formed, but the rest of them are sort of dissolved into a cloud. And he's flying down to pavement level, and we can see the little boy running along. And the spectre says, There he is! Got to form myself into an invisible shield in front of him! The next panel, very effectively, we can see a translucent spectre forming in front of the child. Johnny speeds along, catches the boy in his car headlights, and thinks, Huh? A kid! Just like in the dream! In the final panel of page four, a panicked, sweating Johnny grabs the wheel of his car, and thinks, and, and if I swerve, I may crack up. This is exactly like the dream. If I want to get away, i got to run him down. The first panel of page five shows Johnny wide-eyed as he thinks, But no, can't kill a kid. Could never do that. Gotta swerve. And he twists the wheel. The second panel is a massive crash as his car leaves the road, collides with a lamppost. The spectre forms into full view in front of the little boy, and the spectre exclaims, Huh? And then the final panel of page five, the spectre opens the door of the wrecked car belonging to Johnny, sees Johnny's body inside, and the spectre says, He, he's dead. And the story runs out with an inset spectre face addressing us once again and saying, I'm sorry I misjudged you, Johnny. You weren't completely bad. You sacrificed your own life to prove that the dream was wrong, that you really couldn't kill a helpless kid. And a tiny caption says, The End. So what do you think of that one then? I loved it actually. I like the motif of the dream coming true and the artwork sort of yep. repeating the structure. And mm -hmm. I love the way the spectre was rendered and the spectre intervening and sort of making sure that the boy doesn't die. And then yeah. Johnny is obviously manic. I love the way that's rendered. It's, I mean, it's completely mm -hmm. disposable and not even five full pages, but 
I yeah. really liked it. It's, I mean, it would have been difficult to have really been any longer. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. But I, you know, I just liked the way it, it played out. It wasn't really, you know, mm-hmm. it's an interesting twist that the the baddie comes good. What did you think? Or anything to add? Yeah, I just find it funny that in this final issue of the Spectre that has got four stories in it, the first two involve repetition of imagery and uh, the antagonist <laughs> dying at the end by what appears to be an accident. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and the Spectre being involved and on the scene in both cases. I mean, yeah. yeah. I bet I suppose the Spectre's there to judge. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that's that's an excellent point, actually, the, the repetition of the repetition. Yeah. Did Stephen Moffat showrun this comic? Ha-ha. <laughs> Satire. We should actually quickly mention that the page five is rounded out with mm-hmm. a very interesting advertisement, which certainly is shows very odd, twisty yellow shapes with a little bit of text in the middle, and the text all around says "coming, coming, coming," and inside in red lettering is "House of Secrets." So obviously, as we discussed in our recent Gil Kane episode, mm-hmm. the revival and the commitment to to horror anthologies is in full swing from DC, or is it? Because as we know, this is the final issue of the Spectre. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we're going to move on to the third story now. Panel one of our first page has a caption. It happened every day. The $70 handmade shoes stuck in his face. The same taunting insults. And what we see is a curly, blonde-haired, burly-looking fellow with a shoe brush in hand, buffering away at the fancy brown leather shoes of the gentleman who sat in front of him. Do you still get shoeshine boys in the world in real life nowadays? Does that is that something that happens? Not that I've seen, but no. you know, it's more of an American thing anyway. So, American listeners, please get yes. in touch. Let us know. Email us at the Earth 2 podcast at gmail.com and let us know. You've taken the words right out of my mouth. I can't remember ever seeing a shoe shiner in real life in Britain. No. So, back to the story. Blonde haired guy's buffering away, and the voice of his customer says, Shine him up, worm. And he continues over the next sequence of panels as we see the the blonde curly hair chap at work. At a boy, Ali. Buff him up real good. Maybe I'll give you a whole buck tip today. I think it's a suggestion that these visits to the shoeshine stand are not falling on from each other. It seems to be a kind of montage of different occasions. Panel three, the punter's voice says, Hey, Ali. Remember when we were school kids, you were the nice guy. Everybody said you'd become a big lawyer or a doctor someday. But nobody ever said anything good about me, remember? Nah. They all said Nichols was a nothing. A little punk. Man, how I hated you in those days. Ha <laughs> ha. Just like you hate me nowadays, eh, Ali? Because you turned out to be the punk. Well, I made it big. Real, real big, Ali. And the narrative is interrupted appropriately here as we get the title of this third little vignette, which is... How, how much, much can, can a guy, guy take? take? And the Spectre has an answer to this question, because he's looming over the proceedings in a translucent type way, rubbing his chin, and he says out loud, Ali Johnson wasn't far away from finding out. And the Spectre's looking at the punter, Mr Nichols, sat in a chair, waving his briefcase in Ali's face, saying, Ha ha! If you had this black bag, Ali, your money troubles would be over for good! Ali's strangely quiet as his hands. So, the caption for the first panel on page two says, But for Ali, the worst part was yet to come, when he reached home. Yes, we see a little view of Ali's home life. There's a bare light bulb, two rather scrawny-looking kids on the floor in front of them. His wife Mary at the table. She's obviously counting what little money they have. Ali arrives home, and she says, 
Is that all, Ali? It's hardly enough for food, not to mention the rents. Your kids are hungry. Ali replies, I know, Mary. I'm hungry too. And he continues over the next couple of panels, saying, Yeah, yeah, hungry. Hungry for some of the good things in life. But Nichols is right. I'll, I'll never get them. I'm nothing but a, a worm. We see the cracked plaster on the wall. They're obviously very skint indeed. Bad times. Ali gets a close-up in panel three, as he says. But, but what if I had that black bag? Hey, I wonder what is inside Nichols' black bag? Caption for panel four says, It took a lot of courage for Ali to ask the question aloud next day. Yeah, we're back at the shoeshine stand. Nichols is obviously a nasty guy who likes rubbing mm. Ali's face in it all, you know, every day. <laughs> I mean, who who goes to get someone else to polish their shoes every day? Nichols has sat there in the seat as Ali walks away. Nichols is saying in response to Ali's question, <laughs> So you want to know what's inside, huh, Ali? Let's just say what's inside would make you a real rich guy, Ali. Hey, Ali, wouldn't it be great if I dropped dead this very minute? Then all you'd have to do is reach out and grab the black bag and no one ever be the wiser. Wouldn't that be great, Ali? Final panel of page two pulls up. We've got a pigeon's eye view of the proceedings. <laughs> Nichols continues. By no such luck, eh, pal? Ah, don't take it so hard, Ali. You got yours? Two kinds of shoe polish? One brown, one black? Shine em up, worm! Gosh, I don't like this guy at all. I think I know the way I want this story to play out, listeners. I don't know about you. So, the caption for the first panel of page three says, That's how it went, day after day, week after week, until... Yeah, we're back in Ali and Mary's sad little place. They're sat with the oven door open, trying to keep warm, clutching their children to them. Ali is thinking, Why must he torture me? It, it's hard enough trying to scratch out a living in dimes and quarters without him dangling that black bag in front of my eyes. Black Bag, obviously, was a, a popular and long-running character in Viz magazine, listeners. So there you go. Mm. Panel 2 has a caption that says, In Ali's dreams, all was well. And we see Ali, tinted blue, surrounded by green mist. In his hands, he has rings and necklaces and gold and all sorts of fancy stuff. And he's saying, All mine! I'm rich! 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 We're back at the shoe stand in the next panel. Nichols waving his black bag in Ali's face, saying, Go on, Ali, take it, then your troubles will all be over. Sure, try and take it, and I'll chop off your arm. Nichols takes his leave in the next panel. We get a close-up of Ali's eyes as he thinks. I've had it. I, I will try, Nichols, even if you do chop my arm off. And so, late that same night in Nichols' lavish apartment... Nichols is stretched out in his bed, asleep. He's waiting... <laughs> polka dotted boxers by the looks of things. We can see the black bag on his bedside table. Ali is entering through the very posh, fancy, sliding, collapsible doorway type thing. And as he does this, he observes and thinks, The, the black bag must contain a fortune. He keeps it so close even when he goes to bed. The final panel of page three shows Nichols face down, supposedly asleep. We can see a gun on a table beside him. And Ali's done it. He thinks, I got it. Now... Now i got to get out of here. However, caption to the first panel of page four says, What? And it seems though Nichols is faking. His eyes are wide open. He sees what's going on. He says, Freeze, worm, and put it back or I'll blast you. Ali says, No, no you won't. And he makes a grab for the gun on the bedside table. In panel two, Nichols leaps out of bed as Ali says, 
Stay away, or I'll shoot. I mean it, I'll shoot. Ha <laughs> ha! You ain't got the guts, worm! I'm warning you, Nichols. I'll, I'll shoot. And there's a click as he attempts to fire the gun. Nichols looming towards him. Obviously, nothing happens. And then it captures to panel four. But suddenly... And there's a massive whoosh as a green cloud enters the room, sending Nichols and everything else flying. Ali thinks... Huh? A gust of wind, powerful enough to blow the gun right out of my hand. How? Then, in the next panel, the green cloud takes form. A familiar figure, it's the spectre. Ali looks up at him and says, Who are you? Never mind that, Ali. Just take a look inside the bag. The bag you wanted so desperately. You're willing to die, or kill to get. In the next panel, Ali is opening the fancy briefcase, and it seems to be empty. Ali says, There's nothing inside. I was about to commit murder for, for nothing. In the final panel of page four, the spectre has hold of the bag, and he's tearing the cover from it, saying, Not quite, Ali. You see, beneath the leather covering, the bag itself is fashioned from solid gold mesh, stolen by Nichols in one of his many illegal activities. There is a reward for its return, Ali. It is yours. In the first panel of page five, Ali says, But but I don't deserve the reward. I was going to kill him as bad as he is. And he gestures. We can see Nichols trying to make a run for it in the background. The spectre says, No, Ali. Your words prove your basic decency, but even a good and decent man can be driven to commit a crime. In the next panel, Nichols exits through the open door. The spectre seems to be running after him, saying, As for you, Nichols, by mercilessly taunting Ali, you have proved that an evil man is driven by his own viciousness to destroy himself. The final panel, very, very effective. This is definitely going on Instagram. We see Nichols caught in a massive, twisting, circular spiral in front of the spectre as the spectre proclaims, Your life is forfeit. I am here to claim it. And Nichols cries, No! The, the end. end. Yes. What do you think of that one then, Pizzi? What a horrible man. <laughs> Which one? Nichols. Yeah, he was horrible, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely horrible. Ali reminded me very much in his look of Nemesis. <laughs> Tom Tresser, Nemesis, the character who was a backup for a long time in Brave and Bold. I see that, yes. His look is very much like his. Maybe this is his origin. Maybe Nemesis uses a, <laughs> a false name. Wow. Well. I like the aspect of the, the evil taunter getting his comeuppance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Ali's motivation is clear, obviously. He's in dire straits. Yeah. Obviously, the spectre is is aware that Ali feels genuine remorse for what he was about mm-hmm. to do and thinking about this. It's interesting that the gun wasn't loaded as well. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. So Ali couldn't have killed him even if he'd wanted to. I wonder what other evil deeds... Nichols has committed. Obviously, he's stolen this this case, and he's taunting Ali every day. Yeah, is that worth worthy of a death penalty? Uh, <laughs> That's a fair point. But I wonder if maybe the spectre is aware of other stuff that Nichols has been up to. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, no doubt, no doubt. Yes, you know, the spectre obviously at the start of the story is observing, and at first you think he's observing Ali, but it's possible that maybe he's been observing mm-hmm. Nichols all along because he's mm-hmm. the one that has been doing lots of bad things and. I suppose yeah. it's a slight narrative twist that we ourselves, we follow Ali through his situation. Yeah. But the Spectre's probably been following the other guy. I think that's maybe what's going on. Yeah. Who's responsible for the third story? 
This is written by Jack Miller, and the artwork is by Jack Sparling. It's the two Jacks. Interesting. I can imagine these last couple of issues of The Spectre working very well as a, an anthology TV series. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Where The Spectre pops up every so often and proclaims and narrates. It's, um, it's very interesting. I did really enjoy that when Nichols is frightened by the Spectre and he's running out of his apartment, uh, he's literally not had time to put on any clothes, he's literally running out in his leopard print or polka dotty boxer shorts, and that's all quite amusing. Yes, and the final image is he's upside down being twirled around by the Spectre yeah. in his little vortex of fear. And his <laughs> legs are akimbo and you can see <laughs> yep. the aforementioned spotty boxers. Spotty boxers actually supported menswear at the Leeds Cockpit in 1997. So that's probably it for the third story. The rest of the page is taken up with a very exciting house ad. It is indeed. You've got a big arrow that says, Are you prepared to... And it points to a comic, which has the heading, Follow me, for I am the Phantom Stranger. Yep, issue one of the Phantom Stranger's ongoing. Uh, On sale, March the 13th. Lucky for us. The Phantom Stranger will appear in the podcast eventually, don't you worry, listeners. It's very interesting that they're cancelling the Spectre with issue 10. And then literally they're advertising a similar kind of mysterious character who will also narrate mystery stories straight away. Yes, that is very interesting because it takes a little while for the Phantom Stranger ongoing book to kind of get into its groove, Mm -hmm. as it were. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? That's a very, very valid point, which has never actually occurred to me before. Yeah. That the Spectre's canned, was he canned to make way for the Phantom Stranger? Mm-hmm. Did they think that the Phantom Stranger is a bit more exciting and fresh? We should go with him. That's fascinating. And of course, Phantom Stranger also was an older character that they have reintroduced in this series. This isn't his first appearance, you know. Yeah, reintroduced in the pages of Showcase. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep, as I say, Phantom Stranger will go into a bit more detail about him eventually. Yeah, he will pop up at various points throughout. So yeah, exciting house ad for the Phantom Stranger, and across the page. There's an exciting house ad for issue 380 of Adventure Comics, which I think is one of the final issues of Adventure Comics to feature the Legion. It's the one with the dinosaur that appears to have eaten Superboy. Gosh. Chuck and Lou and Ultra Boy under a full moon and Bouncing Boys wondering what's happened. That's a great issue, kids. Mm. I'm sure it's been covered elsewhere. But yeah, because the, the Legion were about to vacate Adventure Comics and move over to Action Comics. But enough of that. We shall turn the page and come to the final story in the final issue of The Spectre. Now... This opening sequence of panels shows a very thin gentleman, covered in tattoos. There's a racy-looking one of a rarely-dressed young lady right across his chest, and he's got a mop of untidy brown hair. Someone is standing over him. We don't see them, but we hear his voice, and he's saying, Wake up, Hawkins. Wake up. (sighs) That's better. I want you wide awake, Hawkins, so I can see the fright in your eyes as you realise you are about to die. Yeah, the camera, as it were, tracks in closer and closer towards poor Hawkins' eyes. They're wide with fright in panel four. And then panel five, very moody shot, shows Hawkins stretched out back in his bed, clearly no longer with us. We can see the silhouetted shape of someone leaving the room. There's a crumpled piece of paper lying in front of Hawkins that bears the legend, Hawkins, you're the first one to get it. That's about worrying. There was a bit of text before the next panel. And... In a town 50 miles away, Conrad Slade, former circus strongman, clutched a similar note in his quivering hands. Conrad Slade has cropped red hair. Looks kind of thuggish. And he's reading a piece of paper that says on it, Slade, you are the next one to die. Die's been underlined. Conrad thinks, Who, who'd want to kill me? And then as we arrive at the top of page two, we immediately get the title of this story, which is 
Will, Will the, the real, real killer, killer please, please rise? And we're back already with that translucent, semi-formed version of the spectre who's perched on the edge of a box in a theatre. He has the Journal of Judgment open in front of him. He's flicking through it. Down on the stage, there's a man in a top hat with a similarly dressed ventriloquist dummy on his knee. And in response to the title of the story, the spectre is thinking, The answer is there. In the Journal of Judgment, only one man hated Hawkins and Slade, enough to snuff out their lives. Vargo the Ventriloquist. You were appearing in Centre City on the day Hawkins was killed. Now you're in Plainville to do the same thing to Slade. The next panel is a sort of rippled effect to it. It's obviously a kind of flashback as the spectre narrates. Yes, only one man, harbouring his hatred and thirst for revenge, ever since that black day. Now it's obviously at the sight of some kind of circus or freak show or something. We can see Vargo with his dummy. And standing outside, there's a very spivvy looking gentleman with a white hat, neat moustache. We can see someone who looks a bit like Slade, i.e. his large, brutish, close-cropped red hair. We see someone who is clearly Hawkins, because he's got the same mop top. And, rather cruelly, there's a rather large, oversized lady wearing a purple dress. And a spivvy chap who's addressing Vargo says, Vargo, your colleagues are fed up with your petty thefts. Pack up and beat it. Vargo replies, But, but, this circus has been my whole life. He obviously has beaten it for the next panel. He's looking back over his shoulder, saying, I'll get even. You wait and see, I'll get even with every last one of you. In the next panel, we see the spectre, standing in the royal box at the theatre, looking down at the stage, thinking, Sure, Vargo, you're the one. An open and shut case, as the lawyers say and proving it won't be tough. Some narration for the next panel says, Sometime later in Vargo's sleazy hotel room. This is quite an interesting panel to me. The artwork is quite rudimental compared to some of the other stories we've had in this issue. The spectre looks much like he's actually been drawn by Bernard Bailey, his creator. It's quite pleasant to see. Mm. Spectre isn't fully formed. He's sort of tinted green and translucent, and he's pointing at Vargo, who's looking into a mirror at home. Spectre's saying, First Hawkins, Vargo. And now you're all set to kill Slade. Deny it. And then the spectre thinks, All I have to do now is read the guilty thoughts behind his lies. The first panel of page three, Fargo is turned around. You can see he's holding his dummy. And he says to the spectre, Ha! Don't make me laugh, whoever you are. Yeah, I once hated them all. Maybe even enough to knock them off. But that's ancient history now. Who cares about them has-beens anymore? Not me. Arms folded. Unimpressed, the spectre thinks. This can't be. I can read no guilty thoughts behind his words. Vargo continues by saying, So beat it, and let me alone. I'm leaving early for my next show in Milltown tomorrow, and I gotta get my sleep. And the spectre thinks, No, not a single evil thought in his brain. Could I have been wrong about him? And the next panel shows Vargo asleep, and the spectre, perched on a chair, watching him. The spectre casts a very moody shadow. It's very scary. Almost as scary as sitting in this blooming graveyard. Oh, God. Did I mention we were in a graveyard, listeners? We're going to get arrested. This is madness. Anyway. You're going to get arrested. As the spectre observes the sleeping Vargo, the spectre thinks, Sure, I could be wrong, but I can't take any chances with a man's life at stake. I'll stick close by his side, in invisible form, and not let him out of my sight for an instant. Caption for the next panel. Then, at dawn... Oh, this makes a change. <laughs> Through an open window, we can see the... The early morning sun. <laughs> Does the early morning sun loom? I don't know. Anyway, the spectre seems to be taking his leave from Vargo. As he draws the door shut behind him, he thinks, That's that. 
I'll just drop over to Slade's place, tell him there's nothing to worry about. Then the spectre narrates the next panel, saying, I was right enough about one thing. Slade no longer had anything to worry about. And we see Slade's body stretched out on the ground, tinted orange as the spectre stands over him, thinking, No, no, no. Who did it to you, Slade? It, it wasn't Fargo. I never left his side. So, who did do it? The spectre's walking the streets in the first panel of page four. The streets look very polished. There's a lamppost behind them. But we can also see the full moon looming in the background. Is it the last time the full moon is going to loom behind the spectre in this series? It could be. Gasp. Take a drink, listeners. As the spectre walks along, he's thinking, Yet, yet, Vargo is the only one with a motive to kill Hawkins and Slade. It's got to be him. But how did he get past me? The next panel, the spectre's still walking along the streets, not floating or flying. He's obviously got a lot in his mind. And we see a man on the pavement in front of the spectre, wearing dungarees and a brown hat. Very neat moustache and beard and glasses. He's removing a poster for Vargo and Co. Get a really good look at Vargo and the dummy here. And we can see that they're actually, they look very alike. With their neat moustaches and their bow ties and their tuxedos and their top hats. Spectre sees the poster coming down and he thinks, Hmm, Vargo's finished here. He's on his way to Milltown. Where? Where? And the narration picks up for the next panel, saying, where Sarah Frame, ex-circus fat lady, was quaking with fear. Yes, we see Sarah, sat in a chair. She's only a piece of paper in her hand. She must have had another one of these notes. Poor Sarah says, Who'd want to kill me? And the translucent green-tinted spectre, standing behind her, says, Don't worry. I'll be close. I won't let anything happen to you, Sarah. I swear it. Caption for panel four says, And so, at the Milltown Theatre that evening... The spectre is standing off stage, watching Vargo and his dummy giving their act. Vargo with one foot up on the chair, the dummy on his knee. They're both wearing their top hats, looking very smart. And Vargo is saying, Oh, stop pretending you're so clever, Victor. And the dummy replies, I'm cleverer than you, Vargo. In fact, sometimes I think you ought to be sitting on my knee. You can see the audience laughing away, but the spectre's not having it. He thinks, You're about as funny as a graveyard at midnight, Vargo. The next panel, Vargo has got to the end of his act. He's taking his bow. Spectre's watching him, thinking, He's finished. Go ahead, Vargo. On your way to Sarah Frame's house, so I can catch you red-handed. It's a nice panel as we get close-up of the detail of the fastenings on the Spectre's collar. The caption for the first panel of page five says, But... You see Vargo walk along. There's a sign next to him saying, Motel. The green see-through Spectre flies after him, thinking, Huh? He's heading straight back to his motel. He's not going to kill Sarah. The next panel shows Vargo entering his room, the spectre thinking, it, It's some kind of a trick. He probably figures he's being shadowed and is going to pull another feint. Only one thing to do. Force the truth out of him. The next panel, the spectre is standing behind Vargo, who's taking his dummy out of the box. The spectre says, Stop playing your devil's game, Vargo. You know you've got Sarah frame marked for death tonight. Fargo, unimpressed, says, Oh, it's you again. Stick around, mister. Keep an eye on me. I'm inviting you to stay here. Then if the cops come round to question me about Sarah Frame's murder, I'll have an alibi. You. And in the final panel of page five, well, Vargo violently laughs in the spectre's face. <laughs> and the first panel of page six shows Vargo stretched out on his bed, pointing up at the spectre. He continues, Don't doze off now, pal. I want you watching me every second for my own sake. Ha ha ha. The spectre, unimpressed, 
thinks, Laugh, Vargo. Your dreams will give you away. Your guilty, murderous dreams. Caption for panel two of page six says, But as Vargo's even breathing filled the room, Spectre leans down towards him, thinking, He, he sleeps the sleep of an innocent baby. Not a dream, not a single evil image in his head. Panel three, it almost looks so the spectre's in the huff, like he's kicking his heels. He's walking away from the bed, arms clasped behind his back, and thinking, And yet, yet, I know, I know that somehow he's going to snuff out Sarah Frame's life tonight. Gets a dramatic close-up in the next panel, as he thinks, But how? How? And then we see the spectre standing with his hands on the box that Vargo keeps the dummy in. The spectre is thinking, Blast you, Vargo. Blast you and your gruesome little dummy. And a tiny caption says, Continued in the second page falling. And as we arrive, first panel of page seven, the spectre still has his hands on the box the dummy lives in, and the spectre has made a startling discovery because he thinks, Oh no, what a blind fool I've been! The caption for panel two. Meanwhile, Sarah Frame's terror was mirrored in her eyes as... Close-up of Sarah looking very, very scared. A voice off-panel says, I warned you I'd get my revenge. And Sarah cries, No, no, no! And then in panel three, what looks like a very diminutive figure is jumping towards Sarah, crying, Aye! Sarah falls backwards in panel four, saying, It's, it's the dummy! It's alive! But thankfully, just as the dummy reaches for her, a green-gloved hand reaches in from behind, grabs by the scruff of the jacket, pulling him back. The spectre says, Alive, yes. A dummy, no. And he removes a mask from the dummy, revealing, well, Sarah says, It's Marco himself, wearing a dummy mask. The spectre says in the next panel, Yes, his double-jointed legs, doubled up at the knee and strapped, to reduce his height. And the spectre pulls away the clothing of the dummy, very commas, Vargo, and we see that his feet have been fastened by some leather straps holding them in position up behind his body. Sarah says, But, but what about the other Vargo? But a slow dissolve, and a turn of the page, takes us to the first panel of page 8, where the spectre narrates, I answered that question later. And we see, we're at a police station. In the background, we can see Vargo, with a policeman holding him as another policeman takes some notes, and poor Sarah standing there. And in the foreground of the panel, a translucent spectre has opened up the chest of the dummy, and he can see all the workings inside, and the spectre's thinking, A truly remarkable dummy, including a transistorized motor that simulated his breathing and heartbeat. It was Vargo himself, of course, in the box, who not only threw his voice, but controlled the dummy's movements with this little control unit. Panel 2 of page 8 is a close-up of the spectre in the face of the dummy as the spectre smiles and thinks, No wonder I couldn't read your thoughts or your dreams. There just weren't any. And the final panel shows Vargo, handcuffed, being taken away to the cells. The dummy sits unattended in the chair. The spectre, with his arms folded, watches Vargo leave and thinks, Poor, twisted Vargo. He wouldn't mind changing places with you now, dummy. The end of the spectre. It's the end of the Spectre series, yes. He does pop yeah. up again in the JLA before too long. That's a spoiler or a, or mm-hmm. a throw forward. Why didn't the Spectre cart Vargo off to hell or wherever it is he takes them because he killed those two people? Why did he just leave it to the police? Yeah, because this one was written by a different writer. This one was written by Jack Miller again. And it's Jack Sparling who did the pencils, but George Russo did the inks in this one. So, slightly different from the previous story, but you know. 
It is um, inconsistent. I want to know how often Vargo was the dummy. Yes. Because it doesn't make any sense for him to be the dummy all the time, unless he actually was like the size of the dummy, but obviously he's not. The Spectre does follow him, unless maybe the Vargo that we see operating and walking around is the kind of the robotic version that the... I don't know, it's very confusing. Because mm-hmm. was it the Spectre says, a truly remarkable dummy including a transistoroid motor. So that suggests that a truly remarkable dummy, it's not necessarily the ventriloquist dummy, it's just a dummy of Vargo. Yeah. It's just a, a duplicate sort of model of him. I suppose it's possible then that that's what we saw the whole time, that any time what we thought we were getting Vargo was actually his artificial robotic version of Vargo, and yeah. maybe that every time we saw the dummy, that was the real Vargo with his knees bound up. But that's kind of insane. <laughs> it is, it's crazy. Will the real killer please rise? I don't know, it's, it's very messy. Because Vargo had no idea that the Spectre was watching him when he first went back. Well, exactly. That's that's what I was going to say next. When did he figure out that he was being watched by the Spectre? And mm-hmm. When does the Spectre first declare himself to him? Well, actually quite early on in page two. So yeah. was it after that that the, <laughs> the whole time the Spectre was walking the streets, was that when Vargo came up with his plan? It's very messy. A very unsatisfying story to finish on. It is. I do love that both Vargo and his dummy look pretty much like a combination of the wizard's the Earth 2 villain, and uh, especially in the poster, Bruce Forsyth. I thought you were going to say Zatara. <laughs> no, no, in that poster, he looks very much like Brucey, definitely. Let's have a look. Yes, I can see that now, now that you mention it. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite grotesque, isn't it? It's nice to see that now. To see that now, it's nice. Hi, I'm Bruce Forsyth. When I'm not appearing on the Generation Game, I enjoy listening to the Earth 2 podcast. Yeah, I don't know too much. I mean, glad Sarah didn't die for a start. I'm glad Sarah yeah, was that's saved. That's, that's a good thing. Whereas the other people from the, the circus weren't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm surprised that, you know, the Spectre didn't just whisk him off and send him spiralling down the, the little vortex of doom. Mm-hmm. The comment I have to make about this issue, no sign of Jim Corrigan whatsoever. Nope, not at all. It really does seem that that scene with him and the Spectre falling out and the previous issue was Corrigan being written out of the book. Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, I've got used to the, over the 17 appearances of the Spectre so far, I have got used to them, the idea of them operating as different entities, but it's still odd that, mm-hmm. that Jim doesn't pop up at the end, you know. How do you think he's doing without his soul? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Was he, <laughs> did he just keel over dead again or something? I don't know. Mm. It's very odd. Not much else to say about the stories. I mean, this is the final issue of the Spectre's ongoing book. Mm. As Peter pointed out, the Phantom Stranger's own comic was, had its first issue, own first issue published five days earlier. It's very interesting. And as you pointed out, there's an advert for the new revamped House of Secrets as well. Another mystery title. Yes. Just coming. So it's not like they're dropping the whole mystery anthology idea or the mis- mm. mysterious magical character idea. They're just not having the Spectre do it. Did they just sort of think that maybe a new character mm-hmm. would sell better than this... I mean, things we have no idea how the Spectre sold it. We haven't had letters pages for the last couple of issues, so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we were reading the earlier issues, it was obviously the, the letters pages were they were a source of great debate and discussion. There was a lot of people who were very unhappy with what was being done, a few people that did seem to enjoy it, and, you yeah. know, everyone had opinions about the artwork. I think the three defining artists for the Spectre in this period are Murphy Anderson, Neil Adams, and Jerry Grandinetti, I think. You know? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh-huh. And the differences between them all are staggering. I mean, I've I've made mm. lots of jokes about how this series has reminded me of the way that the Marvel New Universe title, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, was endlessly mm-hmm. tidied and rebooted throughout his run. I was exaggerating. You know, my copy of issue four, Guest Starring Starbrand, has a, a Future Shock stamp on it. Stamp? Yeah. 
it's a fascinating bit of social history. Yeah. So I might put a Spitfire in the Troubleshooters Gallery up listeners just for badness. Because, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of other content for these last couple of issues. It's been an interesting ride, shall we say, with the Spectre. Mm. Because, as we've said many times, the Murphy and Gardner stories felt very formulaic, very repetitive. Yeah. Neil mm. Adams was like a bomb going off in as far as the way the, the stories were told and the, the narrative, but mm. they were maybe slightly unsatisfying in some ways. Yeah. And then the Grandinetti stuff was like another 90-degree turn doing something yeah. very, very different as well. So it's it's been very mm. interesting. I, you know, we can only speculate because we don't really know at this point and unless we turn anything else up that tells us quite why they canned it. Were they sick of the readers complaining on the letters page or is yeah. we're speculating now that they just think, right, sod this, we're just going to go with the Phantom Stranger and bring House of Secrets back? Looks like it. I think that's probably the most likely explanation for it all. Yeah, it's, it's the whole off comes razor sort of idea, isn't it? Mm. So as I said there, we don't have any letters pages, but there's a fact file page mm-hmm. in issue 10. Readers with long memories may remember that I read one of the fact file pages out when we talked about Sargon when he turned up in the flash a few weeks ago. The fact file, which is numbered 8 in issue 10 of the Spectre, is actually about the Spectre. The first paragraph recaps all these Golden Age details and mentions how he pops up again in Showcase and his couple of issues of Brave and the Bold, obviously with Flash and Batman, and, and his Justice League appearances. And it gives a, a longer recap of his Golden Age history with mention of Percival Pop, the super cop, who I'm not sure if I've ever actually read a story with. I might have done, I'm not sure. Yeah, He's the sort of cartoon sidekick. But fascinatingly, mm. the final paragraph of this fact file on the Spectre reads like this, listeners. After 20 years in limbo, the Spectre was revived as a straight adventure strip in issue number 60 of Showcase. His double-decade disappearance was explained by relating that he had been imprisoned within the body of Jim Corrigan due to the machinations of Asmodus, the demon of ultimate evil. In time, Spectre defeated that master of supernatural menace and went on to further adventures, eventually winning his own book. In issue number 9 of the Spectre, the Astral Avenger was taken to task for killing a mortal by the being who created him, and sentenced to do penitence by passing judgment over the lives of those people whose names appeared in the Book of Judgment, a mystic volume which was bestowed upon him. Now, this is how it finishes. The effect was to once again make the Spectre a subordinate character in his own strip, alluding to Percival Pop. Mm -hmm. The next issue was the last in the series. There's a lesson there somewhere. Now, this actually (laughs) appears in the final issue. Yes. They must have known they were going to cancel it. Mm Mm-hmm. So weird. For this to be this text piece to be ready uh-huh. in time for the book being published. Also, it's not the Book of Judgment, it's the Journal of Judgment. <laughs> it's almost, this little paragraph, is, it's retrospective over the, the Spectre's entire career almost. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating how they've got this this insight and this not even guarded opinion that what they did with issues 9 and 10 was basically a mistake. Yeah, it's a fascinating editorial comment. Yeah, I wonder if the response to issue 9 was overwhelmingly negative and they just went, oh God. You know, immediately, but then the lead in time to have that text yeah. piece prepared. You know, I'm I'm fascinated. I wish I knew what yep. had gone on. I've not been able to find anything in any of the magazines, Alter Ego or Back Issue or anything like that that's that's covered that. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, it's just I've not been able to find anything. But again, listeners, if you know of anything, let us know. I've got an issue of Comics Journal that's got a, an interview with Mike Friedrich, so I might have a look in that. See if he talks about the Spectre mm. at any point. I fingers crossed, you never know. We might find some more details. I mean, obviously, the Spectre will return mm-hmm. in 1970s Justice League, Justice Society crossover, and then he takes over the lead in Adventure Comics. That's a way off. Anything you want to say about the Spectre then, Pete, overall for the series and stuff before we wind up? No, it has been a fascinating ride. And as you have said, it's been very inconsistent, but it's been thoroughly entertaining all the way through, though. It is a really strange choice of a character, though, to have as your Golden Age or JSA or whatever you want to call it. 
in their own title because of his omnipotence, because he can pretty much do anything. Yes. And they had to throw the weakness at him and then give him this journal of judgment. Yes. Because when you've got someone who is omnipotent, it is really hard to you know ground them in a reality that people will understand and read and enjoy. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to give them opponents that aren't you know either easily mm-hmm. defeated or equally as omnipotent. And you know there was obviously a lot of discourse about that on yeah. the page, and it's fascinating how they completely missed the the obvious solution to always right there. They they make it Jim Corrigan's book. Yeah, absolutely. Huh? That's the best opportunity, and I think I mean again as I've said in the past, I haven't read the Doug Munch series. I've got a full run of them. Mm-hmm. I don't have them for a while. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to them soon after I try and read the Jean-Marc Demetrius Doctor Fate. And as I'm also reading The Creeper as we speak, listeners. Oh, good. Corrigan, the aspect of Jim Corrigan would be very much the focus of the John Ostrander Tom Mandrake series, though. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and that's yeah. the one that really blends the idea of the, of Corrigan and the Spectre being the same person, which mm-hmm. is something I've had to unlearn. <laughs> break, literally yeah. break the habit of a lifetime before we did these stories. In the Doug Munch series, he is depowered quite a lot from what he can normally do. Right. And also, he does have the whole symbiotic relationship with Corrigan, and again, he has sent his body to recharge, and but it affects both of right. them. So that is an aspect that carries on from this. Obviously, took inspiration from this. Yeah. Another thing we should probably mention briefly in passing, I suppose, is that we should we have to assume that every one of these stories over the last few issues has also been taking place on Earth 2. Yep. Because it was clearly established that that's what the Spectre was because of the, mm-hmm. the issue of Breathing Bold where Barry visited them there and mm-hmm. obviously the presence of Wildcat and the Psycho Pirate and all the references to Our Man and Doctor Fate what have you. Yeah. You know, it makes me almost wonder because this has been a horror book type anthology thing for the last couple of issues. Does that mean all the other horror anthology titles were also on Earth 2 or is that just me being silly? Anyway, that's just a <laughs> thought that occurs whilst we're going. So yeah, that just about wraps it up for the Spectre, I think, doesn't it? Certainly does, yes. And it wraps it up for this episode, dear listener. (laughs) So yes, that's what we thought about this. What did you think about it? Please get in touch. As I said earlier on, you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yeah, listeners, I'd be personally very intrigued. Get in touch. What are your thoughts about the Spectre and the Silver Age? Let us know. And if anyone does let us know, we'll read out your thoughts the next time he appears. Yeah. Do check out our social media. I will manage to scrape some bonus content together for this issue that's <laughs> not just the cover in the panels. <laughs> yes, I probably will stick up a cover gallery of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> just to give context to anyone that doesn't know the character of the series. Indeed. If you're feeling generous, listeners, please go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a review. That would be lovely. If you're feeling even more generous, you could go to our coffee page and buy the price of a beverage which will help pay Peter's increased energy bills to cover the cost of editing the podcast and all that sort of stuff. Except for that. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? It would be, yes. Etc. Yes. So. I've been Peter. And I've been David. And we get to pack up all our stuff and go home. Now, we can leave this scary, spooky graveyard. Hopefully we won't be back here anytime soon. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel next week on... The Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Hello everyone and welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast. The podcast that explores the origin... No, I gotta start again.